The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Well, fam, today we're jumping ahead in the Gospel of Mark. If you've been following along with us, we're looking at what it means to live a marked life for Jesus. And because of uh, my injury, of which I can now walk, because I hold in my hand half the staff of Moses, that's not true, um, we got a little slowed down. So we're jumping ahead, but we will go back. We're in Mark chapter 11 today. I need to ask you a couple questions. Uh, in the past six months, have you, don't answer yet, have you been extremely stressed out or stressed out about something, or do you foresee that in the next six months you will have some stress come upon your life? Raise your hand. Okay. Primarily at the chapel, we are a good news church. Everyone say good news. That means I, I am not here to peddle good advice. Although advice comes along with good news, it's primarily not a good advice church. You're not going to find many sermons if you go through our archives about 10 steps to a happier, healthier marriage. You're not going to find things on how to raise kids who love you with all their hearts. You will have tools and principles that will come along the way, but primarily it's a good news church. Good advice is me telling you guys what you have to do in order to achieve something. Good news is me saying, here's everything Jesus has done for you. Now go be free in him. It's a big difference. Today, we're going to look at how the good news sets you free from certain stresses. In case you haven't figured out, um, I'm not exactly matching today. I got a red shoe, a gray polka dot sock, blue shorts, and a faded black shirt, and this thing over here, my sexy boot. And I didn't even realize that I wasn't matching, but I have been telling my wife for years, when I get old, I'm going to wear the most ridiculous stuff. Because when you're old, you get away with all these things, I'm told. You know, we had this guy at one of the churches I was a pastor. I was an associate pastor, so I couldn't rebuke him. But he was an older guy, and he would go around and kiss every girl on the cheek. And I would just sit back and say, just because you're old doesn't mean you don't have testosterone. You're probably just an old pervert. I said that in my head. Now I could say it on my podcast because someone gave me a microphone and hired me. But I thought, why am I waiting to get old to do what I want? I'm free in Jesus. I'm free in Jesus to wear a polka dot sock, red shoe, blue shorts, and a faded black shirt. I'm free in Jesus to get this sweet cane. I'm free in Jesus to do a lot of things. And today in this story of the triumphal entry, which many of you have heard, if you've come to churches in the last 20 years, chances are likely you came in or around Easter, which celebrates the, the resurrection of Jesus. And this is the, the moment before the week of our Savior is under a lot of stress, and he's He's doing something that we often neglect. So we're going to pray, and then I'm going to Tarantino you by starting at the end of the story, and then we're going to go to the beginning. Sound like a plan? Okay. Lord, we are coming today to not only see and embrace your divinity, the fact that you are God in the flesh, but that you are also 100% human. Lord, this message today can be taken as good advice primarily or as good news. I pray that people would walk out of this building feeling free. Free from the stresses of needing more money. Free from the stresses of having to look a certain way. Free from the stresses of having to achieve a certain status or own a certain thing or have a certain type of relationship. Lord, come and set people free this morning. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. Now, I have to ask a specific person a question, and, and I didn't prepare this, so I hope they answer correctly. Jesse, what would Jesus do? 
WWJD. No, I'm going to ask you one more time. I want you to tell me an answer that might be somewhere in your heart. If you had to think about what you would put on the bumper of someone's car that had a WWJD fish, what would you put on the bumper of their car? I was disappointed. I know Jared's got the right answer. Jared, what's the answer? Flip tables and whip people. Okay. Mark chapter 11 also syncs up with John chapter 2. Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. He's come on the donkey with the palm branches and the cloaks before him. We're going to quit Tarantino back to that. But when he goes in the next day, he sees people doing something that was not right. The people in Jerusalem, the religious people, had turned from the way that God wanted them to live, and they had added religious layer on top of religious layer. They had turned their religion from a thing of love and care for the orphans, the poor, and the widows, and they had turned it into a money-making machine. Sound familiar? If not, you haven't turned on your TV to high channels late at night, where you'll find some ridiculous-looking pastor wearing diamond cufflinks and diamond earrings begging for your money to send him on a private jet to the Sudan. It's the only time I've prayed for jets to crash, by the way. Lord, forgive me. Verse 15, when he came, came in, it says he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. This was the equivalent of someone coming in here and doing the exact same thing. In the midst of their religious service, Jesus went in. Now, we often... In churches, especially this church, we will talk about the deity of Christ, that he is God in the flesh. What we often underemphasize, which I think is to our detriment, is that Jesus is 100% God. How much percent God? 100%. And he's 100% human. How much percent? I know some of you math people are like, no, it doesn't make sense. It does in God's economy. He is 100% God and 100% human. I, because my brain is twisted, I think about weird things. I've pondered the fact that Jesus had to go through puberty. Isn't that weird? Like, he had to have testosterone surge through his body. He once had no leg hair and then got leg hair. He once had no facial hair and then got one of those creepy mustaches that some of your preteens have. Get them razors. If your kid's lip looks dirty, buy them a razor. Eric Enriquez, buy your son a razor. I was just, I don't know if the application was getting direct enough, but we're a family. This is the one thing we have different from other churches. We're going to be a family church. We're going to be family, okay? Okay, he's got a razor. Gabe, use your razor. No dating until you start shaving your lip. Okay, back on to the text. No dating. That's what your mother said. Honor your mother and father, and it shall go well with you. You shall live long in the land. Fifth commandment, go. Jesus is, is turning everything upside down. The, the Jewish people had forsaken and forgotten. They were called in the Old Testament to be a light to the nations. They were called in the Old Testament to care for those who were traveling, care for the strangers among them. They were called in the Old Testament to make sure that orphans were cared for, that widows were provided for, and it, they turned it into a racket. It didn't look like the picture. So Jesus went in, and in the Gospel of John, I love that version of this story, it said that Jesus was flipping tables, and he fashioned a whip. So every time you see a WWJD fish in the back of someone's car, I want you to get a sticky note out of your glove box and right under it, just write 
WWJD? What would Jesus do? Flip tables and whip people, John chapter 2, and just stick it right on there. As a matter of fact, we might make a bumper sticker for that one. This would be good. I feel it. I feel bumper stickers in our future. Even though I mocked them last week, we're going to get one bumper sticker that says the okayest church in town, and then another one that says flip tables and whip people. This is Jesus. He's going into the religious establishment, and he's saying, you've turned this into a commodity that it was never meant to be. Today, we... And much of the Western church, I believe, have turned this into a commodity that it was never meant to be. The Bible calls us a family. God is our Father. The reason we pray to our Father in heaven is because we are brothers and sisters. Wouldn't it be weird if we had a family meeting? I, I don't get, okay, kids, we're going to have a family meeting. I want you to come in here and get in rows. Now, granted, I only have four kids, so I don't know if I have enough to even need rows. Enriquez, is? Do you put your kids in rows when you teach them things? Do you have them get in rows? No, okay. Families don't do that. I was asking them because, oh, you do circles. Families are more about circles, like King Arthur and his boys. Families don't need rows. Families don't even need lights. This is a, this is a family gathering space for us. One of the weird things is that one of the, the family uncles right now is doing family things. The AC in the back was flooding. He's back there keeping you from getting flooded. Because he's kind. It's a losing cause. We're going to get flooded this summer anyhow. Because our ACs are long in the tooth. But this is all just a thing. I don't think that this was the plan that Jesus said. He didn't say, go, therefore, and build beige buildings across your country. And fill them with people who sit in rows and raise hands. Now, there's nothing wrong with buildings, rows, or hands. I think we should sing and raise our hands and clap and shout. I think we should gather together for Bible studies, but that's not the main thing. Jesus went in here and he started tossing tables and whipping people because they had gotten away from the main thing. That Jesus was coming to bring in a new type of kingdom and he was a new type of king. What type of king was he? Let's find out on the day he came to town. That was your Wayne's World Go Back in Time sound. Verse 1 of chapter 11. When they came near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage at Bethany, and at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt, a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt. And tie, it was tied at the door outside the street, and they untied it. Some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. You guys have sung those songs, right? Hosanna. That's 90s. I don't know what the new ones are. This is our prophecies being fulfilled. Zechariah chapter 9 says, The king, when he comes, the son of man, will come on a donkey, a colt. It says it in that verse, in that chapter. It says he's going to come in a way that is unexpected. He's not coming on a war horse or a chariot. He's coming in a lowly colt. And he came in a way that was commonly known to, to 
revealed kings. They would put their cloaks and branches down. We see an example of this in 2 Kings. When the king was coming down the street, they would want to pave a way for him. We don't have anything like that except for uh, in our culture. Maybe the closest thing we have to royalty is the red carpet celebrities, which is weird to me. If you think about the two people we worship, they dress with weird dresses that look like flowers and peacocks and People wear suits of different colors and sizes and weird things. You know people wear tuxedo shorts now? Seems odd to me. I guess it's a Florida thing probably. Anyway, this was the royal treatment. At the beginning of this week, Jesus gets the royal treatment. You are the king. We want you to rule us. Come and take over. But Jesus had told them three times before this, I am going to die. First time Peter said, no way, Lord. Second time, Jesus said, I'm going to die. Right after he said it, the disciples were discussing who was the best disciple among themselves. They did not get it. The third time, Jesus said, I'm going to die. The two brothers, James and John, were arguing about who's better and who gets to sit on the good side. And Jesus said, you don't get it. I did not come to start a kingdom in the world's way of thinking. The reason why Jesus flipped tables and whipped people is because human beings have a tendency to take religion and to turn it into something comfortable for us, to turn it into something convenient for us, rather than to do what God has called us to do, to care for the poor, the widows, and the orphans, to love people radically no matter where they've been, no matter where they are now, or no matter where they are going in the future, to not discriminate people based on their background, based on their choices of life, but to love people radically. When Jesus was on the cross, he looked down at the very people who had put him there and said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do the people who put him to death. Just a few days before, everyone's saying, here's the king. A few days after, they're looking at him saying, there's the criminal. Now, the interesting thing about this, this idea of Jesus being crowned royalty, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that, that you, a crowd can flip so quickly. But what is interesting to me is I think about the humanity of Jesus in all of this. Because uh, as I've shared before, uh, I love studying anything. If, if there's a new topic, I just, I love studying it. But lately, my brain has been failing. Like, I'm remembering things way too late. Like, I just remembered right now that I'm supposed to email Erica back questions that she sent me about a week ago. Like, just right now, my brain. I call it cripple brain, okay? I'm eating too many dark chocolates. All that cocoa is buttering up my, my arteries up here, and I can't do nothing. But what's interesting to me is when you think about the humanity of Jesus, you think about the fact that... Uh, that he cried. In the, in the account in Luke 19, the same account of the triumphal entry, it says that when he went into Jerusalem, as he was riding in, looking over Jerusalem on this donkey, it said he just started crying because the burden was so great. Because he was seeing that they had turned this into something it was never meant to be. And he knew that he was about to die. He was about to die. I had you uh, raise your hand if you're going to be stressed or have been stressed. Because I, I do want to give you some good news that hopefully you can apply into good advice. Here's some really good news, y'all. Two bits. First bit, most of you chapel family, if you've been here for a while, know you are vastly worse than you think you are as a human being. So cheer up. That's good news. Because that means you're more loved than you could possibly ever imagine. My ne next part of good news that I need to tell you about, if you want to see stress reduced in your life, this is the greatest news I could ever tell you. You're going to die someday. It's true. You're going to pay taxes tomorrow, and you're going to die sometime after that. Eventually, 10 out of 10 people die. 
I'm not a math whiz. That's why I only have theological degrees. But I'm pretty confident in this math score. Sans rapture. And here's the thing. I, I can't think of a way to communicate how quickly life moves. But I'll tell you what, it moves really quickly the older you get. I mean, I, I know why that is. You know, for example, um, when you're four, if your life represents a key lime pie, a delicious key lime pie with whipped cream and some little almond crust, that's a sidetrack rabbit trail. If your life is a pie, when you're four, it's cut into four pieces. That's a big piece of pie. That's like what I eat for breakfast. And then when you turn like 10, you got to cut that pie into 10 slices. Those are little slices of pie, right? And that's why when you get older, some of you have wondered, why does life seem to just get faster and faster? It's because the slice of pie you're living is getting smaller and smaller. It's a quicker distance to cover one-sixtieth of a pie, where some of you are, than it is to cover one-tenth of a pie. Some of you teenagers feel invincible right now. And just in case you're wondering, that's how this happens. When a teenage brain is trapped in a middle-aged body, you get middle-aged broken. <laughs> but life will go fast. And if you depend on something that this world tells you, to give you meaning, you will be stressed until the day you die. If you think that just a little bit more money, then you'll be happy, it is a lie. The reason I know it is not because I've experienced a great windfall. I've never had the interesting luck of winning the lottery ticket. But I've known very, very wealthy people, people in the tens of millions of dollars range, and they can be just as unhappy as the person making nothing. You see, this world tells you certain things will give you meaning, but I believe there's only one thing that will. Now, you can try and do all the other things. You can, you can try to aim for success in money. You could try to do your physical appearance and get it all good and fresh. But if you depend on those things, you will get stressed out. I mean, let's be real. For those of us who are older than 20, start to get to a certain age where life just changes, right? Where the stress of finals when you're in high school becomes the stress of what college you get into. And then you're stressed out in college about finals. You take up drinking coffee as a hobby. And then you graduate college and your parents are so proud, but you can't find a job because the economy's been garbage, so you got to move back home. Then you find a job. It's super great because you love being in one building from 9 to 5. Everyone grows up dreaming of that. I've met every six-year-old I've ever met. I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they say, nine to five in a cubicle, baby. <laughs> Two weeks a year, holidays off. Time and a half for extra hours. Never met that kid. Because that's a weak vision of humanity. God has given us a great vision. And it's more than what we can make. It's more than what we can look like. Don't get me wrong. Like, I get it. it. The temptation is there to look a certain way, have a certain thing. But if you just be content with who you are, you could become free. Like I know, the dress like this, I'm a solid 7.2 on the look scale. That's what I'm going to give myself. I know some of you are thinking, don't be so hard on yourself, Ryan. And I don't think I'm that attractive, but I look at my wife, and either she's had brain surgery or I'm good looking. Oh, I know she has had brain surgery twice. I'm a 7.1 now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But people put their hopes, 
People put their dreams in the, the vision of how much money or how much what they look like. I just read an article this week about a girl in Tampa whose Instagram account, or she was working on Instagram, making money. They call these people influencers. Instagram influencers, Instagram models. Instagram's a dangerous place nowadays because girls like to go on there and wear next to nothing. They just get tangled in the kite string and take selfies with weird lips. And then her account got banned for spamming or something. Back where I used to live, spam was a delicious canned meat. Apparently, it's something else in internet lingo. And she was crying to this reporter saying she just can't go back to a nine-to-five job. You know what happens when you depend on your looks for a sense of purpose? Well, there's one very clear thing that happens. Gravity happens. Okay? Let's just track with that, 16-year-olds. Um, wrinkles happen. Like when I cry as a teenager, my tears just went straight down. But I'm a happy person. So when I cry now, my tears got to go through a maze to get down. They're like, hey, er, right turn, left turn. But here's the thing. If you want to reduce stress in your life, this is a little bit of good advice I'm giving you for free. You have to understand that you're going to die. And that that pie, those slices get smaller and smaller and smaller, which means they go by quicker and quicker every year. It takes me about five seconds to eat a pie that's a quarter of the size, one-fourth. But some of you are way more than one-fourth of a pie slice. You're way more than four years old, right? How many slices did you just turn, Steve? 62 slices of pie. That's a lot of slices. You could barely fit a candle on each of those. Those are some skinny slices. Skinny sli hey, don't, oh, yeah, just wait. Hey, Charlie, father-in-law, how many slices are you again for us? 75 slices. That's not even like a slice. That's just like what's left over on the fork. <laughs> I did that joke first service. It didn't work any better there either. You know why I can talk about my father-in-law this way? Because... Because here's the thing, statistics say that we all, on average, are going to die in this country at about 80 years old, which is amazing. Another statistic is that um, you are all amazingly unique, and God has you here for a purpose. I'm not going to get graphic, but I'm just going to let you know that the odds of you being here are about 1 to 400 trillion. Adults, you can track with me. Kids, ask your parents. God has you here for more than a 9 to 5. God has you here for more than just getting older and living for a weekend or a vacation. God has you here for the 80 years, give or take, for something more than just sitting in a row and looking forward once a week. God has you here for a vision that goes beyond death. Because one day we're going to be 90, and then 120, and then 500. And then a thousand. It's not going to be in this body. Thank the Lord. I want some new Achilles tendons when I get to my resurrection body. But one day you're going to sit across from your friend, drinking a cup of whatever amazing coffee they have in the kingdom of God. And you're going to talk about the times that you had in this life. And you have a choice as to how you live. You can live for all of the things this world tells you will give you purpose, value, and meaning. You can turn church into something that's for your comfort and makes you feel good about yourself, or you can be who God has created you to be. More than a two-week vacation, more than a nine-to-five, more than a 401k, more than savings, more than a cruise, more than all of these things. God has created you to grow a family, 
And we're a family. For the past number of months, and only exacerbated by this injury, I've been feeling like the chapel has, has fallen into a rut of just being, being more like a normal church. And I know we're not normal. I get that. And that's on you and me together. I know this because other people tell me this. I know this because other pastors tell me this. But what I love about this place is that we are family. Family doesn't have to sit in rows. Next week we're doing Easter, and, and I've dropped every, everything that pastors are supposed to do during this time. I've just dropped it all, just blown it. Just been like, I can't, I'm checking out. And I can use this as a handy excuse for a little bit longer. Breeze, put it together. Every song you're singing, we haven't had staff meeting in ages. I pop into the lobby, all these things are built. I, I'm just as surprised as you on Sunday. Like I walked in and I was like, dang, those lights. How can I get those in my house? I found out 75 slices of pie build that. So I can get them in my house. I'm related to him. I married his daughter. He has to love me. It's obligation. It's not a choice. Okay, forced into it. And then all these, these things are just popping up. And, and then I drive up. To, we have welcome flags. Now we're really becoming an organized church. Be careful. We don't want to become organized religion. That's a dangerous thing. I prefer disorganized religion. But all of these things, I felt like we've just become a church. and not We've, we've not been the church family that I know God has called me to shepherd. A family where we all know our role to do what Jesus gave us, his final saying, go, therefore, and gather people into air-conditioned buildings. I didn't say that. I said make disciples. Teach them to obey, baptize them, and do it again. That's a lot of church words for this. Go out and find the children that I'm calling back into the family. Children who have gone astray, children who have been hurt, children who have been burnt, and bring them into the family because I love them. That's where the church has lost our way. We've tied it to these things that are unnecessary. Doesn't matter what political background you are. Doesn't matter if you're a gun toter or an anti-gun person. Doesn't matter if you're a purse thief or someone who puts money in random people's purses. If that is you, my wife has a black purse back there. Not the thief, the money dropper. Doesn't matter if your view of, of sexuality is different. We are called to love people like Jesus loves us. What I'm not going to let happen I'm not going to let the sheep here just be content to stare forward. I got this cane. I wanted a wood cane. I wish it was this tall so it could look like the staff of Moses. But I like uh, the idea of shepherding people. And I'm myself, I'm a sheep. I'm just an under-shepherd of the great shepherd Jesus. One of the things that shepherds do is that they guide their sheep. My hope and my prayer is that we would get rid of the trappings of religion, see through all of the little things, and do what God has called us to do. The simple, pure, basic thing. Love the orphans, widows, and the poor, and love our neighbor as ourself. Love God with everything in us. There's a theme here. starts with L, rhymes with dove. 
We've lost our way as an, as an American church, I fear. We think this is church. This is training ground to hear good news so that you can go out and be the church. You know what I dropped the ball on? Not just all of this stuff. I just didn't think about Easter at all. Because Easter you're supposed to have things like eggs for kids, like with candy in them. Sidebar. Um, the reason there's an Easter, the word Easter comes from the Saxon goddess Estra, who is the goddess of fertility, which is also why we have bunny rabbits, because bunnies are fertile, which is why we have eggs. So literally, every Sunday, every church that I've ever been at does Easter egg hunts. We're literally throwing little pagan god bombs out there for the kids to chase. Isn't that funny? Like, I'm not going to stop doing it, except for this year I'm not doing it. I'll tell you why in a second. But I think it's funny. Like, one of my friends, they, they do this helicopter Easter egg drop on Easter. And I just crack up. I'm like, dude, you're dropping 10,000 pagan bombs out of that thing. Then you tell people about Jesus. Of course they're confused. Esther didn't create sex. Jesus made sex. You're teaching bad theology. But no one ever goes that deep. It's just me because I'm broken. Not physically. This is my mental broke I'm talking about. Anyway, back to this thing. Easter eggs, I dropped the ball. So I was thinking last service when we were singing, I was over here and they were singing. I thought, you know what? Jesus came and rose again because he loves us to give for us everything. He sacrificed for us. And as a chapel, I want to push us away from being row-sitting people and into being a family that knows each other, that connects together, independent of, of me saying something or of someone putting together a program saying, let's go bring Jesus to someone, the love of Jesus. So next week, I'm going to get together with Edwin and Donna, and instead of doing a big old Easter egg hunt during service, we're going to have the kids make things. And, and I don't know how we're going to do this logistically because I'm not a good logistics person, but I want to have all the kids and, and, and with you later on because you've got to drive them Create things for widows, letters of encouragement, maybe plan a time because there's a retirement community that I just want to pour into. It's right there on Bell Shoals and Boyette Road, right where Fishhawk Bagels is in that shopping center. There's a brand new beautiful retirement center where I eat lunch once a month with some pastors. And every time I go in there, there's, there's such sweet ladies because ladies outlive men apparently. And in that place, they just want to tell a story. They want to tell their story. They want to be heard. You know what most of us have in here? A few decent working ears. And people just want to be loved and heard. I know this because it's, it's one of the things that I really enjoy doing. When I get around people, I love it. I have to motivate myself to be around people. But once I'm there, I'm generally a pretty okay guy. My physical therapy right now, they're my family. They're my Monday, Wednesday, Friday crew. If you want to visit me, it's right up on Bloomingdale, Nithia Pinecrest. We have a really good time. They told me they're going to injure me to keep me there longer. This past week, I met a, a sweet, sweet lady named Ellie, and um, Ellie is a riot. We were cracking jokes. We have this competition trying to get a physical therapist to shake his head, no, in disbelief, and right now, me and Ellie are like neck and neck, like just saying, I'm saying inappropriate Jesus thing, but like good, and she's just crazy. <laughs> she asked me after a few minutes of knowing each other and cracking jokes, she said, what do you do for a living? I like you. I said, I'm a pastor. And she said, you're a funny pastor. <laughs> Ellie is 85, so I presume that she already did her living. I said, well, what did you do? And she said, oh, I still have a living. I said, oh, what do you do for a living? It was no joke what she says. I'm a cougar. <laughs> 85. She's laid on the bed next to me getting her hip worked on. I'm getting my ankle worked on. For the rest of the conversation, I just wave with my wedding ring. I don't know the degrees of cougaring. I've been married for a while. I, I don't know if she's like full cougar, jaguar, leopard. I don't know what the age gap is for her. But I was like, 85, girl, I'm off limits. I'm like grand-grandson for you. 
She was telling me how uh, she and her boyfriend just live life, and he travels with her from Florida each year back to Minnesota. She said she's heading back up there in two weeks. I said, thank you for making our roads a safer place, Snowbird. And um, we really connected, me and Ellie. Not that way, because it was a, a married cougar. I should have processed that joke before. But, uh, but she asked me. She said, Is, will your church accept me if I'm this way or that way? She said, I'm very progressive. Would your church accept me? Because most churches I find don't. It's true, especially in the South. I told her, I said, during the last election, Miss Ellie, um, I had a couple leave because they said I was too conservative, and a week later I had a couple leave because I was too liberal, one way or the other. They both just left, and I was like, dang, I must be doing something really cool here. So yes, Miss Ellie, you can come to the chapel because it's not for people who are Republican or Democrat or Libertarians or Independents or Green Parties. It's for people who need a father to love them and a brother in Christ who died for them. Miss Ellie, you can come to the chapel if you're a gun toter or a gun hater. Just be on your toes because there's a fair number of gun toters down here. <laughs> so Miss Ellie, you can come to the chapel regardless of your sexuality. She told me some things about her that I didn't want to know. <laughs> and, um, and I said, you can come to the chapel because the objects of God's love is everyone. And we're all at different phases. But as Christians, we've added weird things and weird boxes that I think Jesus would flip and whip. doesn't mean there are no standards. There are high standards. As a matter of fact, when we get back to the text and where we were, we're going to talk about not causing others to sin in Mark chapter 9. But Jesus never beat others up with his standards. He got beat up for us because we could never meet the standards. If Jesus wanted to, he could have nailed everyone to the cross with the snap of a finger, but he didn't. He allowed himself and willingly went to the cross out of love. And if you don't think that he was human, he cried on his way in. He was pretty angry in this moment. He didn't get angry a lot. When he did, it was always at religious people. He flipped tables and whipped people. And then he went to the garden the night of his betrayal and he sweat blood out of his face. We forget that he was a human, 100% God, 100% human. But he didn't beat people with the standards. He was beat because we could never meet God's, and we, he had to make a way, and the only way is the sacrifice of his blood for you and me. This is why I love Jesus. Not because there's good advice, but there is. The advice is this. If you want to have a stress-free life, put your God before anything else. Put living for him and making disciples as your number one priority and all of the other stresses will fade away. You'll still worry about money from time to time, but it won't wreck you. You'll still worry about how you're doing with your spouse or your kids from time to time, but it won't cripple you when they fail. Because you'll know that the primary mission you have is to bring as many people as you can into this family to know the love that you've experienced. And if you're here and you haven't experienced it, I need you to know that it's free. It's a surrendering where you say, I can't do it. Take all of me. And when he does, he gives you all of himself. There's no entrance exam. There's no theological book you have to memorize. You have to believe that Jesus took your place. That's the good news. 
that the wrath of God for every lie, for every gossip, for every greed, for every time you raged against your, your friends or your boss or your wife or your husband or your kids, for every time you stole something, for every time you cheated, for every time you twisted truth, for every time you lusted, for every time there was a penalty that needed to be paid. The reason why Jesus was stressed going into the week is because he knew that at the end of that week, every ounce of God the Father's wrath was going to be poured onto him so that you could be free. Every ounce. The reason he sweat blood, the reason he cried going in, the reason he flipped tables is because his mind was in what psychologists call fight or flight mode. Jesus is a fighter. Some of you are fighters, right? When your brain gets triggered, you, it's a literally a biological response. Your brain just shoots cortisol and adrenaline into your body, and you're wired generally one of two ways, fight or flight. Some of you just run in with a fist. You know who you are, right? Donna, Amy, you know who you are, Don. You're a fighter. Some of you are flighters. You're just like, the danger just kicks you into a new gear. You turn into Usain Bolt, right? Who's a flighter in here? I'm not going to pick on flighters because that's not as cool in our culture, but I think it is, to be honest, if I have to choose. Fighters are stupid. <laughs> fighters are the ones who run into cinder block walls head first. Fighters are the ones like, we got to get out, you guys. This is bad. I'm going to share something with you. Don't judge me. I'm crippled. Take pity on me. I've been watching Fear of the Walking Dead. Mostly because I think I look like a zombie when I walk. <laughs> it's a zombie show. Not great. I admit it. But here's the thing about this show. People are just living to survive and this, this tension of there should be more to life than just surviving. And I absolutely agree with that. Because your looks will fail. Your money can't give you what you think it can. You can get all the awards in your career field that you've ever wanted, but there's a reason that people at the top often are found addicted and wanting and depressed. Because one of the biggest fears I have for most of us in here is that we'll never get everything we want. I think if you got everything you ever wanted, you'd find out that it wasn't what your soul was made for. Some of you may say, but you know, I just need... I just need this bill. I just need this. He, I just need to be healed. I just need, if I just get that, then I'll be okay. I'll tell you what, you're not wired to be okay with temporary things. You're wired to be a part of this kingdom that Jesus is bringing in. The kingdom where they laid out the red carpet one day and a few days later put him to a cross. The kingdom that is based on radical love that gives up everything for the sake of another person. The closest I felt to that is children, of course. I don't think you have to have children to feel it. It just works out for me that way. Every time, uh, this time of year, because I make so many jokes about my daughters, parents will come up to me and ask about proms and dances. And uh, this morning, my sister said, are you ready for your daughters to go to prom? And I'm like, my daughter's zero, so that'll be a hard no. My other daughter's five. I just pretend that she's going to stay five forever. Because I, I see this and I think, wow, I would kill for my daughter's. I mean, I'd kill for my sons, too, but just like second, you know. But what, what would it mean to lay down my life? Not just for my daughters, but so that the church could be what it's called to be. So next Easter, next tomorrow, next week, 
The kids are going to make things for widows, orphans, and the poor. Things that we can take out of here and go do something with. My hope is that we can become less and less a church organization and more and more a church family. That we put away these things that would lead to flipped tables and whipping people. And I know what some of you Bible scholars are going to say, well, they were selling things and making a profit. I get that. That's the explicit teaching if you break down that passage. The implied message is that the church was broken and doing things that God never intended them to do. We've got to change that. We don't need to give the world a shinier version of another church program, another church service. Not that those things are bad. I don't mind if we break out the smoke machine from time to time. I don't mind if we get the twisty lights plugged in. You want to just disco us up in here from time to time. But if we make that our main purpose, none of us are going to be happy. What we're doing now across the country the equivalent to the nine to five in a cubicle. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I love me some cubicle time when I worked in pharmaceutical companies because the people there. Because God gave me an ocean of people a cubicle away to love and to pray for. And you can do it in your job. Whether you're a teacher, whether you work at a restaurant, a server, whether you don't work, whether you're a student, God has put people around you. And he's put you in their lives to draw them into the family. You can do it love alone. You're not going to beat people into God's family with all of God's amazing laws of stone. Like I joke often, no one ever comes to churches because of signs that says God hates anything. No one ever sees the bumper sticker about that and gets melted by the love of Jesus for them that he died in the cross for their sins. It's on you to bring the love of God and to care for those who often get marginalized, the poor, the orphan, and the widows. And that's what we're going to focus on in this next season. Because for, for months now, I've been feeling like the chapel's just coasted a river. And I don't want the, be- the chapel to be about the music. I don't want the chapel to be about a sermon. I want the chapel to be about the good news of Jesus and how it changes us when we walk out of those doors and go back to our lives. So that's going to be it, fam. Sound like a plan to you guys? Sounds like a plan to me. If you're here for the first time and you're like, what in the world? Welcome to the Chapel family. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Let's pray. Father, for those in here who don't know your love, reach out today and show them, Lord, that you sent your son and he painfully went to the cross, even asking you, Father. He asked you if there was another way but he knew there wasn't because of his love for us. So he went willingly, was beat willingly, was mocked willingly, was nailed willingly, died willingly so that we could live forever. Lord, for those in here who maybe have been just caught up in the the rigmarole of churches for so long they don't even know how to live another way, Lord, teach me as as an under-shepherd how to love this family well, and to inspire us and equip us and train us to go out and love our coworkers, love our employers, our employees, our neighbors well. Lord, let's not make this about growing services or getting more kids, but just how we can outserve one another and lead our community as a beacon of light and love and forgiveness and show them what it looks like when we live for you, pressure-free, no longer pressured to succeed by the world standard because you have succeeded on our behalf. 
And lastly, Lord, change us into the image of Jesus. Make us love your laws. Help us to cherish your truths in the way that you've wired this world. Help us to walk in that with all of our passion and intellect and emotions. It's in Jesus' name. All God's kids said, amen.